This show is created for adult audiences only. Our show notes include content warnings and other helpful information. We strongly recommend taking a moment to assess the situation before continuing. Let's begin. Episode 17, The Curse of Julia Brown. Just over 30 minutes northwest of the hustle and bustle of New Orleans, Louisiana, looms the dense and menacing Manchek wetlands. The once cumbrous canopy, thinned by the heavy mangrove logging of the late 19th century, now peppers the boggy land with mangled and forbidding flora. Within this bright green-topped murk, in the shadows of the ghost-gray primeval cypress trees, hides a veritable menagerie of predators. Primary among them, the alligators that seem to always be lurking just out of view, among the floating broken logs that buoy through the sludge. All that remains of the days when these swamps were home to the now long-abandoned logging towns of Ruddock and Frenier. However, some say that these ravenous reptilia are not the only dangers that one should be weary of when entering these sallow swamplands. Local legends tell of a far more supernatural menace that threatens potential residents and visitors alike. A curse placed on the land over 100 years ago by the local healer, seer, voodoo queen, and green witch extraordinaire, Julia Brown. Back in the mid-19th century, Frenier was one of three remarkably prosperous logging settlements clustered along the edge of Lake Pontchartrain. This prosperity that relied on the logging of centuries-old cypress trees and the continuous production of cabbage crops so abundant they were known throughout the region was consistent despite the fact that the area could only be accessed by boat. No roads, no electricity. When in 1854 the Illinois Central Railroad built the Frenier Station, it proved to be a massive windfall for the formerly isolated town. Not only did it allow members of the community more consistent contact with the outside world, it opened up a much larger market for their cabbage crop and logging. Not long after, the introduction of express freight and refrigeration allowed these exports to be sold as far north as Chicago. It took no time at all for the railroad to become an integral part of life in Frenier. Everything that came to or went from the town did so on this train. It was a delivery just like this. A delivery of a stack of newspapers that informed the people of Frenier in September of 1915 that an exceedingly powerful hurricane was brewing in the Gulf of Mexico. It was likely to be headed straight for New Orleans. This rugged collection of farmers and loggers were no stranger to storms. The ability to compete against nature and not only survive but thrive 
is what allowed them to establish themselves among the alluvial soil and the arboreal gold mines that defined the region. Unfortunately, this was no ordinary storm. In the aftermath of this storm, damage assessment reports in the local paper stated, quote, Frenier is reported to be entirely wiped out. Nearly all the residents perished. There is an aspect of this story that these papers seem to have left out entirely. An aspect that has served as the inspiration for one of Louisiana's most infamous and enduring legends. A legend that places the blame for this storm not on simple meteorological happenstance, but on a source notably more nefarious. They lay that blame at the feet of an enraged voodoo priestess. Julia lived on the outskirts of the town for nearly three decades. She was known far and wide for her connections to the occult. Some say that she was a simple healer, acting as the closest thing to a doctor available to the relatively isolated community. Others spoke of more sinister connections to dark magics in hushed tones. But this story did not begin as one would expect, with a shunned recluse living on the outs of society both geographically and socially. Julia Brown was an essential part of the community in Frenier. The relatively infrequent train being the citizens' only means of access to the modern technology found in New Orleans and Laplace, Julia was frequently called on to act as an herbalist and healer. These situations were as minor as headaches and fevers, and as serious as serving as a midwife in the birth of dozens of children over the years. In fact, she was so loved by the community that most residents had taken to calling her Aunt Julia. Despite her role as a caretaker in the community, at some point after her husband's death in 1910, her relationship with the citizens of Frenier became strained. Her neighbors began demanding treatment and attention from her with no reverence for her abilities or faith. The mourning of her husband caused Julia to isolate herself. It wasn't long before rumors began to spread throughout the vulnerable village. Connections with the occult are, it would seem, all well and good so long as they are being used for the benefit of those around you. But Julia would soon discover just how powerful the manifestation of fear and abandonment can be when paired with a mob mentality. It is said that Aunt Julia began refusing to treat even the simplest illnesses. She instead spent the years following her husband's passing, sitting on her front porch from dawn till dusk, tying knots in long strands of black yarn, and repeatedly singing the same eerie song under her breath. When I die, I'll take the whole town with me. On September 28, 1915, Julia Brown died of natural causes at the estimated age of 70 years old. Despite the deterioration of her standing in the community over the previous five years, many residents still remembered when she served a vital role in their lives. Many of them had been delivered by her. Her funeral would be a regional event. People of all colors and classes came from as far away as New Orleans to pay their last respects to the renowned sorceress. It is reported by some that nearly 500 people packed themselves into the compressed courtyard. Just as the service began, however, thunder struck overhead and the rainfall began. Only ten minutes into proceedings, it became obvious to all those in attendance that it would have to be abandoned. 
The West Indian hurricane of 1915 had just made landfall in the Manchuk swamps, carrying with it wind speeds in excess of 120 miles per hour. A hurricane is a remarkable phenomenon. Winds that tear structures both man-made and natural from the earth without hesitation, that leave in their wake devastation on a scale unsurpassed by all other natural disasters. It is this level of ruination that would face the people of Frenier on this dark day. Local newspaper, La Observatore, described the damage left in its wake. Quote, Records report that the storm broke all local records in wind velocity. End quote. The cluster of towns along the coast of Lake Pontchartrain, including Frenier, experienced the worst of the storm. The eye and the following eye wall passed directly through the area. While the wind and rain that come with a storm like this are both terrifying and devastating, they are not the most destructive aspect of the event. That distinction is reserved for the incredible storm surge that comes along with it. It is important to understand the geography of this place. The towns of Frenier and Ruddick were established on an isthmus between Lake Pontchartrain and Lake Marpass, a small strip of land less than two miles across and just eight feet above sea level that separated the two large bodies of water. During this storm, the area experienced immense surges between 12 and 25 feet. Water at this depth overtook the entire town with ease. For those in attendance at Julia Brown's funeral, there was simply no available refuge. Locals raced back to their homes. Many of the visitors sought safety in the local school building. A couple dozen raced to the railway depot in hopes of contacting some form of help. And a forever-to-be-unknown number attempted to ride out the storm in the swamps themselves. Throughout the evening that followed, homes were swept away. The schoolhouse didn't last much longer, and the roof of the train depot collapsed in on itself before following suit to become nothing more than scattered debris among the thinning mangroves. One of the few survivors of the hurricane, Helen Slosserberg, gave several interviews before her death in 1990. She and her family, including her four siblings, had a harrowing experience moving from potential safe house to potential safe house until finally hearing the train whistle of train number 99 bound for Harahan. She stated, quote, We boarded the train and headed south, stopping at each house along the way, picking up people. I was barefooted. I only owned one pair of shoes, and they'd gotten lost in the swamp. This train and its engineer became a saving grace that day for a few lucky residents. But after going a few miles, the crew found that a section of the track had washed away. They began backing the train and soon found themselves back where the school had been located. This section of track had also been washed away. And there they sat, stranded, as 15-foot-high waves began to crash against the cars. While the train did take on water, those who found refuge aboard the liberating locomotive, the Slosser family included, ultimately survived. The fate that awaited many of those who fled deep into the swamps were quite another tale. One unidentified survivor, who climbed to the top of a cypress tree and tied himself in for the night, reported, quote, I had to find a way to shut my ears to the sounds. Everyone was drowning around me, 
screams of torture that I won't ever forget. On October 1st, the storm had cleared. The three towns, Frenier, Ruddick, and Wagram, had been reduced to scattered debris. The church's steeple was found wedged against a small bridge some 12 miles inland. The destruction of miles of train track meant that assistance for the few survivors was severely delayed. Left with no food or shelter for weeks while they awaited authorities, the survivors began a desperate search for the living and the bodies of the dead. Hundreds of these bodies were collected from the swamps over the next six weeks. Some were loaded onto rafts and floated to the community cemetery. Others were buried where they were found in unmarked graves throughout the swamps. La Observatore reported, quote, The storm had blown away all tools, nails, and boards, so no coffins could be constructed. All the dead had to be buried in the ground as they were. Julia Brown's body, having been abandoned in the panic of the storm's onset, was found one week after the storm cleared. No one knows exactly where she was ultimately interred. So the question here is, What exactly was Julia's involvement in the destruction of the town? Was her eerie song a simple foretelling of devastation to come? Or was it something much more menacing? Did Aunt Julia, emotionally devastated by the passing of her husband and her subsequent fall from community grace, put a curse on the town and its residents? An article in La Observatore in 1972 seems to support the former. It does not portray her as some vengeful voodoo priestess or witch in the woods. Rather, it remembers her as a loved healer and caretaker of the townspeople, who had foreknowledge of what would befall them. It again quoted Helen Slosserberg regarding her memories of Ms. Brown. Quote, When asked if she, Ms. Berg, believed Ms. Brown to be a voodoo, she smiled and answered, Well, after that, we sure thought so. It is unknown exactly what Julia Brown's relationship to the disaster was. There are, in fact, no concrete records that support her connections with the occult at all. Legend, however, becomes legend for a reason. Many modern witches and voodoo practitioners believe that she wielded a powerful connection to divine nature. That she was just as responsible for the incredible prosperity enjoyed by the town as she was its ultimate annihilation. There is, of course, something to be said here for the negative racial stereotypes that have contributed to the demonization of voodoo in particular and witchcraft generally. How a woman, who by many accounts was a simple Creole faith healer, who loved and cared for and contributed to her community in a meaningful way, could be slowly transformed by time into an evil black magic sorceress bent on the destruction of hundreds of people because of a series of perceived slights. It's been over a century now since the Great Hurricane of 1915. Developers have made attempt after attempt to revitalize this strip of highly fertile land between Lakes Pontchartrain and Marapass. Time and again, those attempts proved to be fruitless. To this day, if you're traveling on Interstate 55, take Exit 7 marked Ruddick. Anyone can take a public boat tour through Manchuk Swamp. It helps you get just a small idea of the wilderness that surrounded the people who lived this story. They've even constructed a sham graveyard, every gravestone marked 1915. 
It is there to commemorate the mass gravesite where so many of the people of Frenier and Ruddick were buried. Separated from these grave markers by 30 or so yards is a gravesite representing Aunt Julia Brown. This setting is used to continue telling the tale of Frenier and their resident healer, seer, voodoo queen, and green witch extraordinaire, Aunt Julia Brown. But the true gravesites are as lost to history as the towns themselves. The truth is that we may never know the true nature of Julia Brown's power, of her compassion, of her heartbreak. Is this just another tale of witch being cried at any woman of the time who managed to attain some small measure of self-sufficiency? Or was Ms. Brown truly communing with a dark force? Did she in fact leverage that commune in to take revenge on the people who so unabashedly took advantage of her? When she sat on her front porch tying knots in that long black yarn, singing, when I die, I'll take the whole town with me. Was that precognition, or was she truly laying a hex on her neighbors and the land for all of time? Welcome, campers, to Campfire Tales of the Strange and Unsettling. We're your hosts. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jordan. And now, the debrief. All right. So, um, I I have some have some opinions, yeah. uh, but I'll I'll, I'll kind of save those until we go through our discussion and stuff. Um, I can't say right now whether that I believe she put a curse on the town or not. And like I said, okay. I'll kind of save my supporting supporting factors and stuff for that. Um, but. This is like a, a crazy tragedy. Yeah, like super, it definitely is super sad. I mean, it sounds like this was a thriving town. I mean, you know, was was once basically just an island essentially. Um, yeah, you know, a swampy island, and then uh, you know, with the railroad being installed and all of that, became like this massive basically trade route. Um, yeah, and it sounds like they were thriving, thriving extremely well, which is awesome, but. You know, for such a tragedy to happen that literally destroyed uh, the entire area, uh, taking with it m- most of the residents and everything. I mean, yeah, I think that's yeah, kind like, of my biggest focus there. Yeah, like over 400 people died. That's insane. Wow. Yeah. Crazy. I mean, there were reportedly almost 500 people in attendance just at the funeral. Right. Yeah. And that was, right. that was one of my, one of the things I had noted down here as well. And I mean, and, and I know, you know, growing up, uh, I, I lived in Georgia for a few years as well. And I remember we were, we were in a hurricane at that point. And this is, I mean, this is back in the nineties. Um, right. and I mean, even that, like, and we were in Georgia, you know, it wasn't, uh, wasn't, wasn't nearly as bad where we got hit, but I mean, it was gnarly, the area that we lived in. And I remember, um, there was a like a house trailer uh, nearby, and uh, nearby kind of the neighborhood that we lived in, and there was a tree that literally split like this house trailer in half, um, and fell through the bedroom of one of the uh, of the of the lady that lived there. Luckily, at that point, she was not there. Um, yeah. and I mean, had she been there, she, it would have killed her. I mean, the, yeah. the tree literally fell through, like splitting the entire house trailer in half, like. And fell right on top of her bed and stuff. So, I mean, 
you know, living through that, and I know, like, we we took shelter. I mean, it, it was it was crazy. Probably one of the biggest storms I've ever been in, involved in, uh, or gotten to see firsthand. Um, you know, so kind of thinking, like, I mean, that's the biggest I've ever seen. But something this crazy and such like such a catastrophic event, like, yeah, yeah. it's just it's crazy, super crazy to me. And it being the time period that it happened in, like having a complete lack of infrastructure to help deal with it. Oh, exactly. Like, yeah, I mean, it, they were. I can't imagine. They were just getting to the point where they were starting to be able to, you know, interact with the outside world. Essentially, right? You know, having that rail line and everything, like you know, starting to become this, uh, you know, this trade route that they were building and everything. Um, you know, I mean, given, you know, probably 20 more years, they probably would have been able to withstand it. They probably would have been fine. Yeah. But, you know, like, yeah, they didn't have the means to be able to, to live through that or to be able to outlast it. I mean, especially with a lot of the townsfolk basically taking refuge in the school, um, and the school just ends up this, this mangled mess, uh, just washes away. (laughs) Yeah. It's just, it's crazy. Um, I mean, like. Grow, like growing up in Indiana, obviously I've like lived through a few tornadoes, right? Of course, so yeah. Like, which are terrifying, but they're terrifying for about ten minutes. Yeah. And like, they kind of come and I go. I couldn't imagine, and, right? Yeah, I couldn't imagine that kind of terror for a day. Yeah, yeah, that's you know insane. what I mean. Like twenty hours of that peak terror that you feel during a tornado oh, man, dude. yeah yeah that's awful Ugh. That's, and, that's like one of the things that keep me from the southeast <laughs> i mean yeah I, I i understand that um i i keep like i keep wanting to move kind of more towards like the pacific northwest is where you know yeah. like where i want to go but as far uh, away from hurricanes as right. possible you know yeah. i'll take nonstop rain that is all fine and good. Yep. I will take that yep. every single day if I don't have to endure all the ice and all the bullshit that we have to endure here. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, just, I, I can't imagine, like, and I know, you know, that was, I only lived in Georgia for three or four years, uh, yeah. but that was, you know, just that little bit of that experience is enough to, like, really kind of deter me away from that type of area and being so close to well i would love to live near the ocean first of all but like that's it's kind of one of those things that like do i really (laughs) um (laughs) you know yeah it's uh yeah it's pretty crazy and i mean and something like this just really solidifies that it's a whole it it's a super sad story it's really sad um makes me feel super bad for the people there um not 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 just for julia brown i mean you know she had her own she had her own thing that she was dealing with at that point. Her own tragedy. That I think people completely over overturned, overturned her grieving and everything, like, as a fucking something else. And, you know, of course, as people do. Um, yeah. But again, I'm not trying to get into my opinions yet. Uh, I, I want to hear some, some more kind of facts as we kind of get in, you know, kind of get into this a little bit more. I mean, I, I read the entire interview with... The, the last one that Helen Slosserberg, the survivor, gave that was, um, I think it was just like two or three months before she died. Okay. She gave it with um, Tulane University. 
Um, one of the, someone in their journalism department did it. And it's like, and she was the Pretty. one that her family got on the the train on the train and started yep. going south, and then they slowly went back, and then basically they were stuck there, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fifteen foot waves crashing into the side of the train Fuck cars. You, that would there. be gnarly as shit. Like, oh my god. god. <laughs> and she's just like a little girl standing there barefoot in the train while it's being rocked back and forth by these huge waves. Forget that. Oh, that's that sounds awful. Yeah, it was a pretty harrowing interview. Like it was, it's hard to read in spots because, like, I mean, she was an old woman when she when she passed in 1990, yeah. and like, at least she had she a was, long life after all yeah. that. Like, I mean, that's she at least it deserved that much. I mean, having to, having sure. to live through all that, yeah. No, but like you could tell just by the way she worded things, like she was still like emotionally affected by it all those years oh, I'm later sure. uh, something like yeah. that would traumatize you for your entire life you know for seeing sure. everybody that you've known and loved like just literally be taken taken by this massive storm something that's out of anybody's control yeah you know it's yeah i, I don't think anybody could get over that but like as far as julia brown goes i I personally think she was just like a misunderstood healer. All right. That's that's so, how I see her. I think it's hard not to put her in the in the context of like the history of witchcraft, right? right? And the of way course. it's been like the persecution and the twisting and the, you know, all that that's gone on. It's hard kind of not to see her in the in that same light. Yeah, of course. You know? Yeah, I I mean I think I, I would have to agree with you a little bit there, um, yeah, and, and that's where like I said I was trying to kind of save some of my my opinions of of that because I think that's what it comes down to really, you know she she is this this person that maybe she you know was maybe she was maybe she was taken for granted maybe she you know uh, felt like the townspeople just used her over and over but. To me, it sounds like she was a very beloved person in the community. Yeah, you know, she, was, she was. She was a very and to have five hundred people at her funeral, like holy fuck, yeah. dude, that's right, pretty substantial. Like, you know, so like I don't I, I, that that's kind of that's kind of where I where I lean towards. You know, I think that she she was a little bit misunderstood. I think a big part of this was her grieving process. That yeah. a lot of people mis misunderstood um, and mistook as something completely different than what it was, right? And I so, think she probably had like an emotionally dark turn, right? As oh yeah. she was mourning the loss as of her husband. Many many people do as part of a grieving oh. process. That's why there's what five steps to like to yeah, dealing yeah. with death, right? You know, it's yeah, it's, um, yeah. And I think that was like that could pretty easily be misunderstood as her like taking a dark turn in general, right? I agree. And like when a when a magic user goes dark, I can see, understand how that could like put some fear in people. Right? But I think at that point, it's all just. It, it, I think it's this normal, everyday people that don't understand. They don't understand the abilities maybe that she was that she possessed. 
you know, and even just her healing, like, just her, like, healing abilities and things like that, immediately assumed once she, like, shut herself out, isolated herself from the world, that she went this dark route. And, I mean, you know, she very well could have. Sure. Who am I to say that she didn't? I don't know. But I think a lot of it comes down to just being blown out of proportion. And I think there's, I'm sure there's a lot more to this. Yeah. Um, You know, that I I definitely want to, you know, want to kind of dive into just because, like, we've been been given kind of a, a little bit of, a little bit of what she did, what, you know, what she did for the community, who she was for her community. Obviously, a well-known, well-respected healer, seer, uh, voodoo princess, whatever you want to call her. I mean, yeah. you know, like a mixture of all the above. And it, there are a lot of people also that see voodoo as a form of dark magic, regardless. Right. Um, you know, which it's and I not, think that hits so. the nail. That hits the nail on the head right there. Right. Is I think that, in my opinion, from what I've read, this is pretty much what happened. She was beloved by the community, and then she dies. This unprecedented storm hits the area, and it's not... Her involvement with magic isn't mentioned in public record until 1972. Really? Okay. Yeah. So, and that was quoting that interview with um, one of the first interviews that Helen Slosserberg gave. Um and even then, she wasn't the survivor, Helen. She didn't characterize her as being like a negative force in any way. Okay. Right? So, but that kind of blended, I think, with what you were talking about how people think of voodoo as being inherently negative. Right. And of dark. Course. I think that blended with, with the story of her being involved in magic. And the fact, I mean, honestly, the fact that she's a black woman in the and, South in that time. Right. And coincidentally, and a, this all happens, right? It, you know, right. Like, of course. Beginning with her funeral. Right. Exactly. So, like, I think a lot of it was that racial stereotyping that I touched on a little in the story where, like, she's like a mysterious black woman. She's like it must be bad, right? Like, what she's doing must be bad. Right. There's a lot of that mixed in. And I think she just slowly over time became this folklore character of this, like, evil voodoo priestess who put a curse on the land, right? I think that also was helped by the fact that they've literally, over and over and over again, multinational corporations have tried to develop this isthmus this land in between Lake Pontchartrain and Lake Marapaz. And have been unsuccessful in doing so. And right. shit gets fucked up every time. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, there's there's a lot that goes into it. I, I honestly, I think that, what, what did she say? She sang that song, When I Die, I'll Take the Whole Town With Me, or yeah, uh, yeah I'll Take the Town Down With Me, or something like that. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think that that also kind of kind of leaves a bad taste in your mouth a little bit, you know, like you know, just to hear hear that, like maybe this is just her like dealing with this, you know, she felt this darkness. She felt like, you know, she's dealing with uh, grieving her husband's death and everything. 
And it's just like her, like, finally just getting pissed at everything. But yeah. maybe it wasn't malevolent. Maybe it was just like a, like a, a means to help her cope. Sure. I don't know. Yeah. Or maybe she foresaw the the fact that she would die and soon after this storm that, would that's, hit. That's possible. Maybe. Maybe it was like prophecy, essentially. Yeah. Um, and she I mean, she, she was reportedly a steer. Yeah. So maybe, maybe that's what it was. Maybe it was, it was precognition. Huh. Rather than a curse. Maybe she was like, watch the fuck out. This is going to happen. <laughs> So maybe she was like doing, you know, her her own way through coping and grieving and dealing and everything. She was also trying to warn people in the only way that she could. You know, maybe, right. maybe that's what it was. Maybe we have to thank this lady. I, I think so. I think so. I honestly reading about her, I like her. Yeah. Like I I think she was a badass. It sounds like, like it. I mean, it sounds like she was cool as fuck and it sounded and obviously Again, well respected, well loved. Uh, she, you know, just to even have that many people at her funeral—I mean, it's insane. Dude, um, by modern standards, five hundred exactly. is a lot of That's people. That's a lot of people. Imagine if all five hundred of those people had to travel by like horseback and train and shit to yeah. get to your funeral, and five hundred still showed up. Yeah, I mean that that has to that has to speak for itself at that point. Like it has to say something. You yeah. know, it, she wasn't, I, I don't think she was feared. I don't think it was this or that or whatever else. I think it was this coincidental bullshit that happened to go down that it, it may have been her seeing beforehand and trying to, trying to ward against or whatever. And like, like we were saying, the only way she knows how or could sure. do at that point, um, or just extremely coincidental. Like that very well could just be the case. It could just be a huge ass coincidence. Yeah. Um, you know, just I mean, at the same time, why be so fucking cryptic about it? True. If it is a warning, why not just call a town meeting oh, yeah. and go, "Hey, this is what I've seen." Instead of just sitting tying knots in your black yarn and fucking singing yeah. under your breath, this weird cryptic <laughs> like because that that adds to the ominous, uh, you know, the like that side. I don't know. Because otherwise, I mean, we wouldn't have a story. First it helps of all, with a good, exactly. <laughs> you so, know, so. thanks to her for that. Yeah, of course. For being as creepy about it as humanly fucking possible. But you're right. I mean, if it was a warning, why not just come out and just say, "Hey, I know I've not happen. been here. This is going to happen." Zom saying, mm -hmm. "See you guys later. Get the fuck out." Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, you're you're right. You're right, and, and it's just like even given my given myself in a situation like that, I don't really know how I would, how I would react, how I would interact with people. I mean, you know, everybody deals with death and grieving and things like that in different ways. Yeah, you know, so they, some people just look to being reckless and extremely violent. Some people just yeah. shut themselves out and don't give a fuck about anybody but themselves. Yeah. You know, and some people just literally don't make it through it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I for instance, I know a pair of siblings whose mom died a few years ago and one of them, I mean, they, and they went polar opposites right. in reaction to it. Right. So like one of them gets super reckless, starts like 
They're going out to bars every night. They're drinking. They're getting arrested. They're getting in trouble. They're, you know. Yeah. And and the other basically doesn't leave her house for a year and a half. Like, just shuts down. Right. You know. I mean. And, like, so the grieving process is is very unpredictable, right? It is. It's a unique thing to each person who experiences it. Yeah. So, I mean, if Julia wanted to sit on her porch and tie knots and sing weird songs, if that's what helped her get through it, then good for her. She probably should have chosen she found something. a different song to sing. <laughs> Maybe. <Right. laughs> Maybe yeah. something slightly, like, not so just twisted. Uh, it, yeah. I, it, so, I mean, that I, I guarantee you, she would have sang, like, Oh, we're all going down, and it's gonna be how it is. But you probably wouldn't be as been as weird about it. But if she says, right. "When I die, I'm taking everybody down with me," right? And yeah. starts putting the neighbors on edge. Yeah, you know, it kind of said like, yeah. "What the fuck is she trying to say?" Like, is she, you know, right? So I get like the the being like, you know, did she maybe put a curse? Who knows? I mean, it sounds a whole hell of a lot like a curse. It does. Right. You're right. Especially like right, while she's tying while she's tying the knots. While she's tying knots in this black yarn. yarn. Exactly. Yeah. That <laughs> and she could have chosen like maybe a white or like a nice vibrant red. Um, exactly. Something <laughs> some like mint colored yarn. Exactly. Something that's more lively. But sure. no, she chose the darkest and the darkest of both aspects on on you know, that yeah. she could have done. Uh, yeah. I'm, I don't want to say that she, she... If it wasn't the case, that she brought it upon herself. But, like, she kind of did. In that case. And, and you know, it, getting back to that grieving process. I, I don't want to dismiss that. Because that is... I mean... It's, it's a very tough process for everybody. Of and course. And maybe it was just... Maybe her kind of darkness started to come out, but maybe it wasn't a malevolent darkness. Maybe it right. wasn't anything that was, you know, intended for negative behavior or negative, you know, results or consequences or anything like that. Maybe but, it really was just her processing her grief. Exactly. Like I, I don't want to take away from that because that's yeah. such a that's a, such a big ass thing. I've I've dealt with grief. I know we, you you have, we all have like, it's something that like everybody deals with and especially different people and different loved ones. We deal with extremely differently. Yeah, absolutely. You know? So, I mean, your, your husband, your wife, your parents, you know, like those to me, I, I find those as like the biggest, the biggest one. I don't even know how I would, how I react in a case like that. People Um, who lose their children, like, right there's yeah you know it's just, it's severe it, it really is and i think it's it's something that you know that's why that's why i want to i want to focus on that just because yeah. i think you know like giving her the benefit of a doubt to an extent to an extent she did say she's gonna take the whole fucking town down with her <laughs> but yeah. to an extent you know like maybe that was her way but looking at the opposite direction She's got her fucking black yarn. She's singing these songs. Like she's being very cryptic in everything she's doing. Um, She's asking for it at that point. 
I mean, obviously, this is like through a hundred years of telephone, right? So like she may have just been You're right. Like true. She may have just rubbed a few people the wrong way. She may have actually been sitting on the porch fucking sewing an American flag, humming Yankee Doodle Dandy. Like she could have been singing like Sugar were going down for Fall Out Boy at that point. <laughs> and like it was just mistaken. <laughs> she like, was a singer. Oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That was probably so, it. Maybe. Yeah. We don't know. Man, imagine if you got to see like you got to see like two hundred years in the future and all you got Dude. was like some shitty pop music. <laughs> <laughs> that was like the only vision you were able to get. Like I, I know I've seen the future. I know how terrible music's gonna get two hundred years from now. But <laughs> like it would still be cool. I would still accept Bummer. it. Like if I if I got just if I got those abilities just to see the dumbest bullshit that far into the future, I would accept it. I'd be like, "Fuck, I'm gonna keep looking for this all the time." Sure. Like you know, at least I know what I won't have to endure at that point. <clears throat> She's just in luck that she didn't have the vision like you know 15 years earlier and end up with like a Sugar Ray song. <laughs> True. Or like Chumbawamba. Oh, fuck. Oh. She drinks a whiskey drink. She drinks a good cider drink. <laughs> All right. I no, was actually no. thinking. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been bad. <laughs> so, so uh, honestly, I think she was probably just misunderstood and got, and it got, you know, the urban legend of her developed over time. Yeah. I, and that's what I think too. I mean, honestly, I think it's bad place, bad timing. Um, yep. Because the fact that she was so loved, the fact that she did so much for her community. I mean, she obviously did so much to become so loved and respected that, it, unfortunately, it's easy for people to literally bat an eye and then immediately turn their like their uh basically just the way that they perceive people or like the way that they look at people to like on a drop of a fucking dime yeah and it's it's pathetic but it's real you know it's a very real thing in in even modern day like i mean that happens constantly and i think that's i think that's what happened here in my opinion yeah julia brown really just needed a pr person yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Badly, poor, poor girl. She, she was way ahead of her to time. Lean into it. Yeah, she didn't know whether to lean into it or to like back off and get let it breathe. She just right? needed somebody to you know be like, hey, ride this out. It'll be it'll be all right. Exactly. Don't sing this song. Don't tie your <laughs> black knots. Just don't draw any do attention it to you. We're doing it inside, right? <laughs> The comfort of your own bedroom, maybe by candlelight, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is what it is, I guess. Yeah, so Julia Brown being wrapped up, right? I would because I would like to move on to talking about witchcraft in okay. general. Yeah, let's do it. All right, so a little bit of history. We'll do a little bit of a history lesson because, like we touched on earlier, the like kind of history of persecution involved yeah, in witchcraft, of right? So 
Like, let's I get think into it. everybody. I think everybody's familiar with, you know, at least like Salem Witch Trials and stuff like that at sure. this point, right? Here you in know, the like, states, that's the big one, yeah, right? Of course, the Salem Witch Trials. Yeah, yeah. So like, it goes back as far as the Bible. So like the mentions in the Bible, you know, whether they date the Bible like somewhere between like twelve thousand BCE and like one sixty five right. BCE. But those mentions kind of set the tone that the church would take against witches for the next, you know, 2,000 years. Yeah. Okay. So I I wanted to say, I think there was some, like, some mentioning in, like, Ezekiel or something like that. And yeah. Yeah. So the very first mention is in, is in Leviticus. Okay. Actually, Leviticus 2027 says, a man also or woman that hath a familiar spirit or that is a wizard, shall surely be put to death. They shall stone them with stones. Their blood shall be upon them. So at that point, what constitutes a wizard? (laughs) You're a wizard, Harry. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) What what constitutes a wizard, though? I mean, eventually they they set that the church decides what constitutes a witch. Okay, right. right. I, I guess you're right. That Duh. The Bible doesn't really give you any context yeah. for it. They're just like, witches are bad. The Bible doesn't give much context for shit, though. Yeah, I know. They basically just say, witches are bad, kill them with rocks. <laughs> <laughs> but see, that's... Oh, okay. We'll keep going. We'll, I'll, I'll yeah. just not, not give... Yeah, let's keep going. That's fine. The big one is Exodus twenty two eighteen, that says, Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. That's like, that was cited time and time again, over and over again. Maybe that's what I was thinking of, not Ezekiel. Maybe it was Exodus, yeah. But there's another one in Leviticus. Ye shall not use enchantment nor observe times. But enchantment could be numerous different things, not necessarily just witches. Sure. Um, It could be like a very charming personality. Exactly. Something that's very charismatic. Uh, We could be looking at the the dawn of vampires um you know i mean there's there's you know just it's just throwing shit out there i mean you know like it could very well be multiple different things but the one specifically the exodus one read that again the exodus one was thou shalt not suffer a witch to live okay and that's where we literally specifically I, mean, I know the yeah, first one mentions, says, mentions wizardry or whatever, but yes, yeah, yeah exactly. So yeah. thou shall not have to suffer a witch. Yep. So, but see, this is where this is where things like really start start to bother me. Yeah, because it's all it's all interpretation, right? right it's, it's all, all interpretation, arbitrary. exactly. Yeah. And that doesn't mean. If there's a witch, go fucking burn them or whatever else. Sure. That could mean like if you're at the hands of someone that's literally like, you know, uh, let's think of oppression. Because I know we've talked about that time and time again up to this point. Yep. You know, like if you or if you were at the hands of oppression or you were this minority or whatever else, you know, we could think of that being as quote unquote a, a witch being sure. at the hands of that. And the and basically you don't have to endure that. 
Yeah. You know, so I mean, there's many different areas and avenues that we could go here. Yeah. Um, Let's say the uh, the white men in power of over Europe for yeah. roughly two thousand years did not agree with that that latter interpretation. Oh, I know. I know. They thought girls I don't like I can kill with rocks. Yeah. Or you look at me or you treat me the wrong way, you turn me down. You're a fucking yep. witch, bitch. No, yep. but that's not how it goes. Like Yeah. Deal with Unfortunately, it. Unfortunately, that's exactly how it went for oh, a long time. I know, but it's just like all these fucking like these in these people that felt so empowered and so fucking like you know, like they deserved whatever this or that or whatever, whatever else. We're able to just quickly throw out, she's a witch. Yep. And that's all it took. That's literally all it took. Yeah. One person. And I mean, and something that has been very modern, um, the the new, uh, the R.L. Stein series that they made in the, the trilogy, uh, where oh, they yeah, go yeah. back into the witch area er, era. And because the two girls liked each other and yep. you know like became this big thing this fucking blasphemy and this all like this whole bullshit and it's because she was a witch yeah but I'm glad we are close minded to this day we are very close minded we are very narrow narrow ways of thinking and still I, I hate I hate where we are still but we are leaps and bounds beyond where we used to be. Oh yeah, so we've come a long way. The fact that the I can race. say I'm glad we don't think like that anymore. But there are still people that do. You know, there are yeah. still people that have that fucking dumbass way of thinking. And if you are yeah. one of those people, you can fuck right off because I don't care. You know, it's yeah. like it. That's that's not what I want out of a person. And I mean, I think my, we can all say that at this point, right? Yeah. I mean, my 13 year old son found himself in a in a church service last weekend in Kentucky where a guy was basically saying that he was preaching to a group of children about how men shouldn't marry men. That's so fucking and, stupid. And yeah, and I was super proud actually because my son like stood up and walked out. <laughs> That's awesome. I love yeah. it. I love it. Yeah, yeah the, I was, and that's what's that's what's so dumb about. And I know that we're talking about witches, like we're not trying to talk about like these other things, no, but no. they kind of intertwine, really. Yeah, you know, yeah it's definitely it's, it's kind of like you know we have we have all this still this bullshit that and these still like narrow minded ways ways of thinking that people haven't grown up, they haven't like gotten over the smell of their own shit, like to fucking own up and think like this. We are in the modern day. Like yeah. it's just it's stupid. It's it's really stupid, and and that's what like, I mean, looking back back at oppression, looking back at, I mean, even even going back to witches here, and this whole like you can cast anybody out just because you don't like the way that they look or the things that they say, or they look at you the wrong way or they turn you down, so you can cast them out, and everybody else is like, yeah, let's fucking burn them at the stake or let's stone them, like, yeah, it's it's yeah. It's sad. It's really sad. I don't know. Yeah. I, you know, it's, Agreed. I, I feel very strongly about this, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it is, it's, it's just stupid. Like, it's stupid that people had to live in a world like that. Um, yeah, and that, it's, I mean, still, people endure not necessarily that harsh to that extent, 
but still deal with this type of bullshit today. Yeah, sh- shouldn't ever be a thing. Like you know, I mean, this is a big this is a big leap that that the the formation the creation of our constitution in this country did was separating church from state, so that you couldn't right. have you couldn't have people using these exact verses from the Bible to create law. Yeah. Right? So yeah yeah i mean we, we've definitely come a long way it was yeah exactly and i think that's probably one of the best things that's ever been done yeah, you know because it, again getting back to this it's all interpretation it's all how you take it and then you have the fucking group of like ruffians that are like dumb as fuck and literally don't know their fucking finger from their asshole uh and then that are just like yeah we'll just you know this is what this is supposed to mean and yeah. yeah, it just it's a it's absurd. So okay, so moving on because we have a lot to get to. Let's do it. Um, the next significant development that I have on my timeline here is in 1486, which is the publishing of the Malleus Maleficarum, which is it's a mouthful. Basically, yeah, it's um, po- it was published by a, cl- a Catholic clergyman. Right, and it translates to "hammer of witches." Okay. Okay, so it's basically like the witch hunter's guide. It like it's basically it lays out what constitutes a witch, how to go about prosecuting them. It details like trials, like how to conduct a trial for for a witch. Okay, all that. So this was the first one to like lay it out, Basically lay out all the set, legal, right? Okay, the legal side of it, yeah. So, like, um, sixty years later, ish, in fifteen forty two, they enacted the first witchcraft act, okay, in England. And what okay. what was that act? Yeah. So that made conjuring spirits and sorcery in order to steal or harm a capital offense. So that was literally written law against witchcraft for the first time. Wow. And this was, yeah. when? what was the year? 1542. Okay. All right. Yep. So yeah, we're, we're right at the kind of the dawn of the, the era here, so. Yeah. And it was like steadily amended over the next hundred years, making it like making specifications broader and punishments more severe. Wow. Okay. So it got like worse and worse over the following hundred years until we got this like fucking living shit stain of a human being <laughs> in 1644. Okay. His name was Matthew Hopkins. And Fuck he was literally referred to, <laughs> he was literally referred to as the Witchfinder General. Oh my God. Really? Yeah. He was responsible for the execution of over 300 accused witches. Jesus Christ. Yeah. He was, wow. by all accounts, almost definitely impotent. <laughs> which is not shocking. <laughs> right? right, exactly. I mean, this asshole was essentially a serial killer. Like, I... same motivation. Like, women in relationships are like an unattainable experience for me, so I have to kill it. I mean, at that point, the dude's just making up for his dick size. So, right. Exactly. Exactly. 
Like his dick didn't work, so he had to kill everything <laughs> that you know <laughs> that made him feel bad yeah. about it. Yeah, no doubt. And like on that tip, I want to talk about trials by ordeal, right? Okay. So like these are like tests that they used to determine whether an accused witch was actually a witch or not. All right. So I just have a I I noted a few of a few of the most common ones here. Yeah, let's hear them. So there was the swimming test. <laughs> okay. Okay. So they basically believed that like witches spurned the sacrament of baptism. Right? So like it was thought that the water would reject their body and prevent it from being submerged. Okay. Okay. So they would they would bless the water and then they would drop the witch in the water and if she sank she then she witch. was okay. She right. wasn't a witch. Okay. But if she just floated there on top of the water and couldn't be submerged, then she was a witch. So buoyancy wasn't a thing at that point, obviously. No, they had no uh, idea. <laughs> Like, they would tie a rope around the woman's waist before they throw her in so that they could pull her back out if she sank. But there were quite a few accidental drownings. Jesus. Yeah. So even people who were innocent would, yeah. That's, That's so crazy. Yeah. And this is, like, this is one of the, like, one of the hardest things as, like, someone who's studied history right it's one of the hardest things for this time period is like presentism yeah that people when they study it they they like it's hard to get to see it empathetically because it's hard for us now in the modern world to wrap our mind around the idea of of state of the the most intelligent people in the world believed honestly believed these things yeah. It was just it was part of conventional wisdom. These were not like crazy nutcases on the fringes of society. These were this was conventional wisdom. That's just it's so crazy. And comparing to modern day like we live by science. You know, yes. and <laughs> we we know it makes things makes things float or not. Um, you know, like, uh, that's just the silliest test in the world to yeah. try and say, hey, we're going to throw you over the edge. If you sink, well, good for you. If you yeah. don't, sorry to be you. Like, I'm just bummed for these women that got tested in this way that there wasn't <laughs> a scientist around to go like, hey, don't hold your breath. Because <laughs> <laughs> if you fucking float, you're going to die. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, moving on. The prayer test. Okay. Okay. So, medieval wisdom was basically that witches were incapable of speaking scripture aloud. Okay. So, they they would be forced to read scripture without making any mistakes or stumbling words. You know how impossible, first of all, that is to do? Even right now... That yeah. is literally there. Like many areas and names in the Bible are fucking so hard to pronounce. Like 
even pastors, uh, uh, like it, you know, anybody like reading, will stumble on specific words. Like some of them are yeah. just crazy. I and mean, they're all witches. <laughs> they're all obviously. Witches. Okay. <laughs> no, right. like that's not even taking into consideration that, like, I don't know, sixty percent of the population were illiterate. Right. So. It, yeah. So if you can't read, <laughs> you're fucked, bud. Yeah, exactly. And, oh. you know, nervous. True. The ones that could read were probably nervous as fuck. But yeah. no, any even the smallest mistake would be used as evidence that they were, like, in league with the devil. Wow. Yeah. I should have just told you up front, like, you're going to be really pissed off. Just continuously <laughs> no as I doubt. read. Like... Yeah. This is very disheartening. Yeah. So the next one is the touch test. Okay. okay. <laughs> All right. The touch test worked on the idea that victims of sorcery would have a special reaction to physical contact with their evildoer. Right? So in cases where a possessed person fell into spells or fits, the subjected witch would be brought into the room and asked to lay a hand on them. A non-reaction signaled innocence. But if the victim came out of their fit, it was seen as proof that the suspected that the suspect had placed them under a spell. So, all right, just to just to kind of just to make sure I understand. So basically, uh -huh. they would take a person, a random person, and then have a witch lay their hand on them. And this person is the what? They're already in some kind of fit. They're already in some kind yeah, of yeah. like mental state or something and if they like calm them down then they're a, they're witch. a witch yes so like it's okay. the person it's the person who accused them or oh, okay. was or the person who um who was suffering some negative effect of their witchcraft so first of all that would be very easy to manipulate yeah of course oh they made me feel so much better they must be a witch <laughs> yeah there the victim we go gets to i decide. told you yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, fits right in with the rest of the bullshit. I mean, yeah, it's so, all bullshit. Yeah. So there was a thing called witch cakes. All right. So were those tasty treats? Yes. Excellent. <laughs> Super tasty treats. Just wait <laughs> till you hear what goes in them. So it was like a form of counter magic. So the witch cake was a dessert used to identify suspected evildoers. Okay. Okay. In cases of mysterious illness or possession, witch hunters would take a sample of the victim's urine, mix it with rye meal and ashes, and bake it into a cake. Oh, gross. All right? This stomach-turning concoction was then fed to a dog, the familiars, <laughs> or animal helpers of witches. Right, in hope that the beast would fall under its spell and reveal the name of the guilty sorcerer. That was their plan. So, were they expecting dogs to talk? You know, that is a solid question. Everything I read about witch cakes, it seems so. Really? It seems that these people's plan was to put dogs under spells with cake and make them talk. Who are the fucking ignorant people here that put this bullshit together? These dogs, they have never talked before, but we will make them talk. Who's know, the fucking man. witch here? Like, 
Exactly. All right. So, okay. A couple more. I'm just going to wrap up these real quick because there's a <laughs> yeah, lot of them. We could probably it. do an hour podcast just on, Jesus. Just on fucking... They're these. nuts. Like, just... Oh, extremely silly. So, yeah. Agreed. So, there were witches' marks. Basically, they would, like, for force that's... the woman to strip naked right. in public and they would search their body for any, like, moles or birthmarks or That's probably one like of the that. most well-known ones, for sure. Yeah. And they would use that, like, any anything right so there was a particularly brutal one was the prick test and you know despite despite its name it was not about the impotency of whoever was accusing the witches i would i would think it's right no so they had this idea that going off the witch's mark that the place that was the witch's mark which apparently in their beliefs came from the devil's kiss Okay. Right? Like the devil would kiss a place on their body and create the, the mark. So they believed that that place would be immune to pain. The mark. Right. right? So in cases where they didn't Fair, find a witch's mark, they would search for an invisible witch's mark with needles. So they would basically... Just- just prick them with needles all over their body until they found a spot where the woman didn't say ouch. So after, just just think about this for a second. You have needles piercing your body all over. You're going to get to the point where you're going to become numb to it because it's happened yep. how many hundreds of times if you're doing it all over. Like, there's going to be like, you're going to be like, fuck, is this over? Yeah. Like, I know it's about getting a tattoo, right? Exactly. After like 20 minutes, you don't even feel it anymore. Yeah. It's, that's the exact same concept, right? So it's, it's one of those things. And I mean, that's, that's literally with anything. Like, you know, any type of pain will eventually go away. If you've endured the same amount of pain to the same extent so many times, you get accustomed to it. Exactly. You just, you, you learn to just understand it. You learn to deal with it. And it becomes a thing. Like, see, yeah. All right. But yeah, apparently this makes you a witch. Yeah. So the final one was the incantation test. So it was also known as charging. So okay. they would have the accused verbally order the devil to let the possessed victim come out of their fit or trance. Right? And simultaneously, they would have other people say the same words as like a control group (laughs) right so they're asking everybody to become possessed right and then the judges would gauge whether the statements had any effect on the victim's condition man if I could have been there I would have fucked with people so hard (laughs) (laughs) I fear you father (laughs) exactly (laughs) classic <laughs> all right so let's let's move forward that's okay. just it's so silly i yeah i know i know it's all silly i don't understand it's, how that there was were actually even, a thing like there were even crazier ones like oh i'm sure there were like sillier ones like oh make her hold a piece of sod over her head and if she lets go and it falls to the left she must be a witch just like random bullshit that they just came up with off the top of their head. Oh, yeah. I, I guarantee it. They were probably like, mm, what else can we try? Oh, yeah, let's try this. Uh, they look at some right. random piece of something in the room and like, 
I bet we could make her hold this. Yeah. I bet this will tell us. Is and like random shit like it. random shit like her second toe is longer than her first toe. She is a witch. She has a speech impediment. Like, She's a witch. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> she didn't like me. She's a witch. Um so in sixteen ninety two we have the famed Salem witch trials. Right. Yep. Right. And that's like definitely the biggest one here in the states oh yeah and right? that's the most famous anybody one. who's anybody knows and I mean, you learn that shit in school too right like, I mean, there have been just, like dozens of movies based on oh, it. oh yeah a bunch of books like yeah all of it if so you don't know what it is say, it's very very surprising you know yeah um so yeah keep so going. more than more than 200 people were accused 30 were found guilty and 19 were executed by hanging during the Salem Witch Trials. Okay. Right. Okay. So. From basically, just as a as an overcap, from 1484 until around 1750, about 200,000 witches were tortured, burnt, or hanged in Western Europe. Jesus. 200,000. Over the course of what, three years? No. Uh, from 1484 14? to 1750. So that's over about 250 years. Yeah, almost 300 years. Okay. Yeah. So, but then, I mean, still, right. It's yeah. a short amount of, short period of time for sure. Yeah, 200,000. That is insane. Jesus. Yeah. I honestly had no idea the number was that high. Yeah, no, me either. Uh, that's extreme. I mean, knowing like the Salem trial so well, I mean, yeah. you know, that's it's just, you know, that's that's closer to us. I mean, I yeah, I I never knew like that number was so extremely high. That's that's insane. Yeah. It was basically like it was basically like a a 300-year-long holocaust for weird women. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. I don't think Jesus had anything to do with it. Uh, but um <laughs> Okay. So, in 1736, which the Witchcraft Act was repealed and it made it and they made it a crime to claim someone as a witch or say someone has magical powers. Okay. So, to accuse anyone became a crime in 1736. Okay. Good. So, but from that that 300 almost 300 year period where we had almost two two hundred thousand people, they're finally like enough is enough. Okay, yep. We hear you. It's no, no, no. Yeah. Like how how does how does enough become enough at that point? You let it on, you let it go for so many years, and destroy so many hundreds of thousands of people. Like, yeah. At that point, it sounds like population control. It really does. When you get to numbers that big, it's right, like exactly. Maybe their ratio of women to men was like maybe it was like too high. Yeah, ten to one at that point. And they're like, we, we gotta cut down on some of these women. Yeah. Who knows? So basically, honestly, because you were you asked a, a good question, which is why all of a sudden, right? Were they like, okay, enough's enough? Right. Right. It was actually King George II came into power like four years before this happened. 
Okay. And he was not into it. It was it was thanks to him that it happened. Cuz he like he firmly didn't believe in the even in the existence, even the existence of, witches. of witches, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you have and some And he saw it as like a a stain on the history of England. I mean, yeah. Like at that point yeah. it really say it really like it creates a bad name for your country first of all. Uh yeah. for Europe as a as a whole at that point. You know, because, I mean, we look at that compared to like even Salem and then Salem was nuts. You know, you look at that many people that are cast out, that many people that are literally hanged or burned or whatever else, and that seems like an extremely high number. But we compare yeah. that to Europe's number at that point, and we're looking like, Wild. yeah, you know, a hundred times that amount, yeah, like more, more than a hundred times that amount, uh, you know, yeah. so a thousand times that amount almost, <laughs> like, and so yeah, I mean, it, luckily. This sane ass person finally comes into rule, and yeah, I, yeah, and puts and they, it into it. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, finally somebody that at least like has a fucking level head. Yeah, definitely. No, like, um, so through the 19th century, through the 1800s, things are pretty quiet on the witch front. Okay, like. Nobody really gave a shit. There was a lot going on, right, in Europe oh, yeah. in the 19th century, like, say, especially like 18th to the 19th at that point. Yep, yep. Like human and civil rights, like democracy starts springing up, like the Industrial Revolution, like European imperialism, where they start traveling the globe, taking over other places, like British Regency, the Victorian era. Like it's a it's a big yeah. century for europe and that's... like apparently no one had time to hunt witches <laughs> so that just gets put on the back burner for a little while yeah i mean you had like the napoleonic wars like they were all they were all pretty fucking busy i would say um, so and then in 1921 margaret murray published the witch cult in western europe you said it was 1921 Yep. Okay. And that is basically that served as like a basis for Wicca. Ah, okay. So then we get into our more modern day. Yes. All right. Cool. Yep. Like she set out a lot of like a lot of the like rituals for like modern Wiccan practice mm-hmm. in the book. So right. You, you and she was like a first wave feminist. Which had like a lot to do with the basis for Wicca, right? The mm-hmm. idea of like worshiping a goddess. So I mean, alongside. yeah, you start to get into like yeah. Wicca, you get into paganism and things like that. I mean, then it kind of all becomes intertwined to an extent. Yep. Yeah. So that had a huge impact, and then, but Wicca, the term Wicca was actually coined by Gerald Gardner in 1954. Okay. Right. And he published a book called Witchcraft Today, which was like, it's basically like considered a religious text for Wicca. It's like, yeah, it's right up there. He was super cool, Gerald Gardner. Like he was a high level Thelemite under Aleister Crowley. All right. He was friends with Aleister Crowley. That's cool. And yeah, they were bros. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. 
He was the actually he was the OTO's European representative. Like he was pretty high up in Crowley's organization. Cool. Yeah. But then after Aleister Crowley died, he split off and started spreading Wicca. Right. Which actually I had no idea that but Wicca comes from a Scots English word meaning wise people. I did not know that either. That's cool. Yeah, All right. I had no idea. The more you know. And then it like Wicca progressed through the through the years, right? Like Alex Sanders in the seventies, like made it more directed toward young, like younger people. Yeah, that generation, and it got like really interlinked with feminism, like really I can, interlinked I can see with that. feminism. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. And it, you know, you and I have a personal connection <laughs> yep. with Wicca, right? Uh-huh. So, like, my, I, <clears throat> my older brother, who's seven years older than me, and he was super into, he was like one of those second wave goth kids yeah. in the 90s, right? So all of his, he and all of his friends were like, going to Marilyn Manson concerts and like listening to typo negative and like had like, you know, wore like pantyhose on their arms and wore makeup to high school and, and all that stuff. My right? cousin being a part of that group as well. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. They were all into it. And like he and his friends, especially the girls that he was friends with, that he hung out with were really into Wicca. Like, yeah. They, they practiced, right? And that's where I first picked it up was from them. I mean, and, you know, looking back at our childhood, like, Wicca honestly was a, a big part of it. Like, for a short period of time. A short period of time, not like an extended period of time. For a few time. years. A few years, right? exactly. Yeah. It was a really big part of it. Uh, I still have all my books on Wicca. Like spell books and stuff like that, literally have on like my bookshelf in my theater, like yeah. you know. So <laughs> I have all that stuff that I will never get rid of, just because like, I mean, it's very sentimental at this point. But it's also, yeah. I mean, that was a it was a period of my life like it was super cool. Like it was a, it was a really cool like way you know alternative way of thinking and looking at looking at everything. This is way different than you know, we look at look at things now. It wasn't. It wasn't witchcraft to an extent that witchcraft has been portrayed for so many odd amount of centuries and things like that. It was nothing like that. Right. It wasn't the demonized, like, person in league with the devil type witchcraft that we're dealing with in the first half. Right? It's not... It wasn't that. It was like... Basically, what I really liked about it, I think... And I was talking to my brother about it yesterday, actually, in preparation for this... But I think it like instilled in me a reverence for nature. Yeah. Right? Oh, a connection yeah, 100%. with nature. Yeah. That I definitely didn't have beforehand. I like, remember like us going into the woods, like, and it'd be like a small group of us, literally yeah. like spending the night in the woods. And like, I mean, and we were younger, yeah. But it was, it. I don't know. At that point, it felt like we were almost. It, it's as cliche as it sounds like becoming one with nature and it had so much more of appreciation for it. 
you know and, yeah. and that's been something that's like instilled in me at this point to still like have that appreciation uh even though like i don't like to go outside as much these days but right. you know like i still have that love because it's been something that you know like still resonates at this point yeah i think no, I remember going out like into the woods, spending the night, taking like candles and like mm-hmm. spices and like all kinds of shit that we, you know, <laughs> yeah. that we thought we needed. Yeah, I remember yeah. trying to like you know, and we even we had our alphabet and we had like you know our spells and stuff that we would like, and they were all like very basic things, like nothing sure, like like protection spells, exactly. and you know, stuff but like stuff that. that like made me as a person uh, at a young age feel great. Like it, yeah. it was like it was very enlightening. I guess yep. the best way to put it made me sure. feel powerful, right? When, but powerful know, in a way that thirteen-year-old boys don't feel powerful, <laughs> right? Typically. And that's I, th- I think that's where I think enlightening to me makes the biggest impact. Is like I just I felt like more of a heightened sense for everything. Yeah, um, yeah, you know, and so and and it's it's very hard to get that feeling for sure. And Definitely. so I, I appreciate like that time period. I think it was awesome. And I was hoping that we would bring this up because yeah, like, I mean, it was, it, it lasted, like you said, several years, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. And it was awesome. It pretty it's- much. I think it stuck to us until we started like really playing music in earnest. And right. And we were just yeah. like, Oh, this is what we're going to think this, about now. Yeah, this is what we're going <laughs> to do now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, then like punk rock became our new religion. <clears throat> you know, it, it gets to everybody differently. Definitely. But yeah, no, that's, I still have like a huge appreciation for it because I, I feel like it shaped a big part of our childhood. Oh, like, I agree. For sure. It's, it's really important to me. And I I think a lot of that came, it came really easily to, especially like my brother and I, I feel like it came really easy to us because we were raised by parents that were hippies that were super into astrology and like tarot. That makes a big difference, and, which is awesome because I mean, they're, they're more open. It's more of like yeah. a, you know, like that, not that narrow minded way of thinking, but being more susceptible to external forces and, you know, like, yeah which is new ideas cool exactly yeah yeah i mean because i know i we had friends that were in our you know coven if you want to call it that of course that like had to hide everything about it from their parents (laughs) yeah (laughs) right yeah like one one like sideways glance at shit like that and their parents would have been like oh god you're worshiping the devil like yeah and i was lucky enough to not have parents that felt like that like they were intrigued by it themselves yeah I got to like talk about it with them also, awesome. which was really awesome. Yeah, yeah that I, was really good. And I think especially modern day, like I think that's how everybody should be like, you know. Yeah, definitely. I think more people are like that now. Than oh, they I were think even I think we're definitely in trending the, in that direction for sure. Yeah. Right. So I have just a couple. Um, I mean, there are some notable court cases concerning wicca but basically just the big one was the big one was in 1986 wicca became recognized as an official religion in the u.s oh that's cool okay yep and And it wasn't um, until 1986 though mind you yeah 1986 now and there were there were quite a few cases of like um 
prisoners being um, being refused their like last rights if they were Wiccan, right? And like um, hmm. people in the military being not being able to have the Wiccan pentacle on their military gravestones and stuff like that, like things like that That's, being overturned yeah. through time, right? That's pretty shitty, though. Yeah, I mean, but they they come around, right? The cases are are victories for Wicca, right? Yeah. Like they try to to keep that. Like in two thousand, it was two thousand five. Wow. That that yeah that in two thousand five, military people in the military could then have the uh, so basically like the Wick twenty years later, they're like they yeah. finally yeah. Yeah, well, the okay. military is always a bit slower than hey, of you know, to adopt new of thinking. Course. But ultimately, the number of practicing Wiccans in the U.S. is like anywhere from it's hard to I guess it's hard to get a real number on yeah. it. But anywhere from it's estimated between three hundred thousand and three million practicing Wiccans That's in the U.S. Pretty damn good. Yeah. It's quite a bit. That's a pretty high Even number. Even on the low end, right? Yeah. That's like 1% mm-hmm. on the low end. And that's, yeah, that's still, that's still really cool. That's, I mean, it also is, you know, kind of sheds a bit more light onto how widely adapted it's became. Oh, yeah. Versus. I mean, I know a lot of, I know a lot of our listeners are wicked. Yeah. Right? Like, there are at least a few. Oh, yeah. And, and I, like. I love. I was that a little nervous. That's still a thing. Like you know, I mean, yeah, absolutely. You know, I say it's still a thing because <laughs> being right. younger and being part of you know, you know, kind of yeah. Uh, I don't right. mean I don't mean it as you know negative thing, right? I actually, found out I had no idea when I talked to my brother about it yesterday. I found out that his wife is a practicing Wiccan. Really, that's awesome. Yeah, I had no idea. Cool. Yeah, so that was cool. Yeah, that's super neat. So yeah. I was a little nervous doing the episode because I know that there are some Wiccans who listen and I wanted to make sure like things were done right. So if any of you have any corrections, if like we fucked up anything here, just let us know. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, always open to feedback, too. And and also, I mean, just even that kind of collaborate collaboration, uh, you know, if you have like something to chime in, like we can even edit some of this shit or even post like some updates for sure. Definitely. Okay, so that being said, let's get to our top five. Ooh, which I'm waiting for this one. All right, all right. Yeah, I'm I've got for this. I've got my handy list ready. Uh, hang on, those are my notes for the show. Let me go back to my list. There we go. Are they in order? <laughs> I have them in order. Yes. Excellent. Yeah. So, what is your number five? Which my movie? number five. <clears throat> number five. I would have to say. The Witches of Eastwick. Excellent. First of all, Jack Nicholson. I mean, can can you go wrong? Exactly. On top of Jack Nicholson, we have Cher, Susan Sarandon, Michelle Pfeiffer. Right. Fucking top-notch cast, first of all. Fantastic. The movie, super silly, but done so well. 
Uh, and for those that aren't familiar with it, it is an older. Uh, I didn't even write down the year because I completely spaced it. Uh, it is an I think older it's like movie. 86, I was going to say I think right? it's like eighty six or something like that. Uh, basically, the premise is uh, Jack Nicholson moves to town. He buys a mansion. Um, he starts courting these girls individually. Uh, basically, tells them that they're all witches. Cut to they all start to share him. Um, you know, then shit starts to hit the fan. Um, and then they realize that they don't want to be with them. They create basically a voodoo doll and then I'll leave the rest open just because I don't <laughs> want to get too far, but you know, just a really quick, <laughs> quick sure. rundown, but it's such a fantastic movie with such a fantastic cast and Jack yeah, Nicholson is, is fantastic awesome. in everything he does, especially playing as Daryl. He's so fucking good in this movie. Such yeah. a fantastic movie, but that is my number five. What is yours? Excellent. My number five is Practical Magic. I almost threw that in my list. I did not though. So, dude, I I loved this movie when I was when I was a kid. It was one of my mom's favorite movies. So good. <laughs> and it like, right, Sandra Bullock, Nicole Kidman. Oh, yes. It's, and they have the. I mean, to this day, they use. You see the meme every once in a while that like all women really want is the house from Practical Magic. Like their house in that, in that movie is, it's everything. Plus, I mean, those two together. Yeah, yeah, it both was of fantastic. Them, gorgeous, gorgeous women. Like, and oh, I mean, me being a young, you know, young kid when I first saw it, I was like, man, I like this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, like, such a good movie, though. So, the premise basically, um, Nicole Kidman's boyfriend. He's like an abusive asshole boyfriend. Right, and he dies, and um, they basically unwittingly inject his corpse with an evil spirit, and like they have to fight him off. But it's like all this—it's set against this backdrop of this like they're members of this very old like supposedly descended from the witches of like colonial America. Like their right. family line goes back super far and they're all witches and they have this like gorgeous house and they have all this like huge like herb gardens hanging from the walls and it's a really good movie i know i'm basically just talking about the house but <laughs> i mean that's the gonna be the most really notable good. right exactly yeah that's awesome so yeah that i almost i almost threw that in but um <laughs> my list kind of goes kind of nuts from here all right. Okay. So cool. my number four, I would have to say the craft. The craft okay. is a fucking classic. Um, and I mean, I know that if you haven't seen the craft, do yourself a favor. First of all, um, uh-huh. you know, I remember seeing that at a young age. Came out and in the nineties again. I I didn't write dates down. I wish I would have at this point because I like to 96. throw those in. Ninety six. Okay. Cool. Um. Yeah. I, it was. It was one. You know. It was one of those that like. I was younger, and it was more so to kind of start to see, um, and, and I, I know obviously Witches of Eastwick was a lot younger, but this is way different. This is way different. You have modern day girls that are in high school that, you know, basically develop a coven, and even like the scene where they're playing Light as a Feather. Um, Yep, like stiff as a board. Exactly. Yes, like that is like one of the coolest things I remember playing that as a kid, and yeah. you know just trying to recreate that scene. 
but like also extremely crazy cute girls you know yeah. like and it just kind of the peak where you know like i'm starting to starting to really appreciate uh you know pretty girl at that point plus something as cool as fucking magic and like these girls do all this crazy shit like charming people and stuff like that it was, it was so cool to see um yep. so it's it's kind of like slightly sentimental but it's more so like man i want to live in this world <laughs> yeah it's I mean, awesome that was like that movie basically set me on a path to like only being only being drawn to like hot goth girls for like the next 15 oh, years dude, of my yeah. life oh for sure <laughs> yep yeah they were the only girls in the world for me yeah it's it, it'll definitely do that for sure um it just fantastic movie uh, I'm actually surprised it's number four on my list. But like Me I too. said, my list kind of gets a little crazy. Uh, okay. Maybe not crazy in a good way, but to <laughs> me, you know, it works. That remains to be seen. Right. What is your number four? My number four is The Blair Witch Project. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Which I'm calling a witch movie. I don't care what anyone says. It's a witch movie. I this movie meant so fucking much to me as a kid. It came out in 99, right? So I was 12 years old when it came out and it scared the shit out of me. Yeah. This was like they basically invented the found footage genre. Exactly. Yes. And like and there were literally I mean this movie tricked it legitimately tricked people all over the world and to think it was real into think, yeah into like, thinking they was, were sitting in a theater watching a snuff film it was a big thing for a little while like the people literally questioned if the movie was real yeah. um this is also on my list i'm not going to say the number yet but we'll go ahead and talk okay. about it as of right now like that movie to me is it holds an extremely sentimental uh you know meaning to me, me too uh but yes i i 100 agree it is a witch movie like you have uh, Heather, uh, Heather, fuck, what was her last name? I can't remember. Uh, but uh, yeah, so she's going on the search for her brother, um, and then like all this shit is happening, you know, throughout the woods and stuff. Like, and there's also the like the story of this old witch, you know, that uh, you know, basically resided over the area, and so like, but you know, to me it was it was one of those, you know, like you said, it was basically started the whole found footage genre. Yeah. 100%. And that made it that much more creepy because it was so, f so well done. Yeah. And I mean, like, I still, I, I just rewatched this probably a couple months ago. Uh, Rewatching yeah. all of them. Uh, even the one that they released back in like 2016 or something, uh, which is kind of like a sequel one. to the first actual original one. The second one, Book of Shadows, really has nothing to do with it. Like, kind of intertwined slightly but the wasn't newest one, one yeah, wasn't book ahead. of shadows like half found footage half not it was like it was an actual real movie it wasn't found okay, footage yeah. but the Meh. i think it was 20 it was i want to say it's 2016 uh correct me if i'm wrong i might might be like close yeah i want to say it's 2016 but it's another found footage one they basically recreate they're going back to look for this group right oh okay and so, and, and it's the group from the original one. They find the house that they end up in as well. Okay. And I won't give any more away. 
yeah, yeah. But yeah. it's actually really great. I'll actually great. watch it. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, I, I definitely yeah. recommend it, especially if you love the original, but nothing oh, yeah. nothing will ever trump the original. And again, starting the, the whole like the whole found footage thing, the best found footage horror movie or any any type of found footage movie ever made, for sure. Yeah. I mean, for better or worse, it started that genre. There's some real like piles of shit in that genre, but Yeah, for sure. Like there it was it was revolutionary for sure. And it like I think that it like that movie had like a lasting impact on our group of friends for oh, a yeah. long time. Yep. Right? Like we I think that's what like got us into like making our own stupid little movies little like scary movies and like we'd go out camping at like ty's house <laughs> the, the and, anarchy like, witch was uh it was yeah, it wasn't yeah. the it wasn't the blair witch like that that symbol that they find but we yeah. found a bunch of like almost a's that we started calling the yeah. anarchy witch but yeah it was super silly but yeah it became a big thing you know and yeah. it, it, it it lasted for such a long time and like that's how impactful that movie was for sure on me you know right. um yeah. I mean it came out in 99 and I know for a fact still it well into the early 2000s we would like we would watch it. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? We would like it's throw it in still, still watching it on like a weekend so fucking with friends. Well. Yeah. Like I remember getting that movie on VHS the day that it came out on VHS and I was yep. I was either 11 or 12. Um but it was like right around my birthday too. Uh my ex- my dad actually got it for me which was, you know, another one of the sentimental things. Um, but yeah, like, and I watched the absolute, absolute fuck out of that movie. I know my brother and my, my brother and my cousin snuck me in to watch, to see it at the drive-in. That's awesome. With them. So good. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Agreed. Okay. So we are to number three. Three. What's your number three? I'm just going to go for a whole franchise here. Okay. And I'm gonna say Harry Potter. Okay. Um. So I know we're not talking just we're not talking just witches. Sure. Obviously, Harry was a wizard. But <laughs> um, you know, but it, it it's still in that it's still in that same genre. Everybody mm-hmm. who's anybody knows who Harry Potter is, obviously. But obviously. still, all of them are fantastic. My favorite being Prisoner of Azkaban. Literally, still my favorite to this day. That, and then I'd say Goblet of Fire. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, okay. uh, Prisoner of Azkaban, I loved. I love Sirius Black. I love that whole backstory. I love like, I just, yeah. I, there's there's too much to really say about the whole franchise, but it was it was one of those like kind of newer things. I know I wasn't like a kid. I was I was you know I was a teenager at that point when they started releasing and stuff, but I saw every single one of them in the theater, you know, I own every single one of them, like, and, and all the books, like, you know, and they're so good. Like it's, it's very well done. Um, you know, depicting what I would say modernized witches and wizards and things like that of that nature. could be perceived as, you know, something that's very widely accepted by this point. It's not so much like you know taboo. It's not. Uh, it's not like frowned upon or whatever else. It's you know realizing that these things are a big part of modern media, of course, specifically, 
and yeah. you know making making something great out of it. No, it like it did a great job of taking like that sort of Neil Gaiman type like pocket dimension existing alongside ours, that whole concept, and like delivering it to a younger audience. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And yeah, that that movie that movie definitely meant a lot to me too. The books too. Like I remember my high school girlfriend was very into the books. Yeah. <laughs> like very into the books. And like I remember so going and like oh man, yeah, they're so good. I remember for the last I don't know, I think it I might have been the middle three books. I remember at least on three occasions going with her at like to line up at a bookstore at midnight, you know, for a book Just to come to out. It, yeah. And then like like cuddled up under a blanket in the back seat with a flashlight, starting to read it in the car on the way home. Like, yeah. And the movies and I you know, the book my connection to the books go farther because I also read every one of them to my kids. Yeah. Yeah. And like so that'll always be that'll always be a memory. It's it's always gonna be more of a it. sentimental meaning behind it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And like just having that that connection, you know, as a parent you like you you grasp at every opportunity you have to like connect with your kids. Especially right? something so on like, such a cool scale as that is. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So like you end up watching movies together and reading books together and it's like something that you can talk about and get excited about together and like it's a big deal. It's that's something they don't tell you about having kids. Yeah. It's like you're going to have to find ways oh, to I'm, relate to them. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um but just for the record, my favorite movie, my favorite of the movies is also Azkaban, but my favorite book is the the last book. Really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that that final book is so good. It, they just get it gets so much darker at that point, yes. which is something I do appreciate. And even I mean the movies even went in a nice darker direction too. Not nearly as yeah. much the books. But um like, you know, just kind of going is it, it almost it was almost like that crowd that you know was reading all of the books as uh, you know, as they released growing up finally getting the point in adulthood to where you could appreciate the darkness behind it. And yeah, mm -hmm. I, I'll agree. I was actually, I was actually really je always jealous of the kids who were just a little bit younger than us because they were like the kids that were the perfect age for the first book when it came out and yeah. got to actually grow up with the characters. Oh yeah. That would have been cool. Cause we were a little, we were ahead of right. the curve. A yeah. Bit, we were a little but, bit older. Yeah. But still but yeah, fantastic. That's, that's, nonetheless. That actually did not make my list. I what I'm is, glad it did make yours. What is your number three then? What? <laughs> what, <laughs> what, is, <laughs> what is your number three then? My number three is Suspiria. Suspiria, Suspiria, huh? Yep. I don't think From I'm familiar 1977. with that. Okay. It's a Dario Argento movie. It it's fucking crazy it like look there's like some shit about a dance academy and like a ballet school doesn't even matter the plot is irrelevant i'm gonna tell you right now all right this movie is like an hour and 40 minutes of 
beautiful Technicolor kaleidoscope. That's what it is. Okay. All I right. can like, I like, this is a movie that I'll like put on and mute it while I write just to have like something to look at. Right. Something or while I play music background or right. Yes. Like while I'm like playing guitar or like writing music, I'll just, <clears throat> I'll just let it play. It's gorgeous. Like it's one of the most beautiful movies I've ever seen visually. Yeah, the the caption basically reads, An American newcomer to a prestigious German ballet academy comes to realize that the school is the front for something sinister amid a series of grisly murders. Yep, it's like a so, coven of witches. What, uh, yeah, what can't be bad about that? Exactly. That's it's, solid. I, I okay. definitely recommend it, though. It's yeah, gorgeous. Yeah, check it dude. out. Cool. I've never heard of that one, so I don't have anything to back it up. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, that's fine. Definitely check it out, though. Cool. I'll add that in my list. All right. You're number two. Uh, Let's see. Just getting that added. Cool. All right. So my number two is Hocus Pocus. I mean, literally, I don't need to say anything. That's Hocus Pocus. (laughs) Um, it's it's one of those it's it's obviously Halloween classic. Um, I know that we've talked in one of the previous Halloween episodes or the October episodes we've been doing or monster episodes rather um, on our movies, and I talk about my list that I have for October. My my list that I yeah. I I will always watch specific movies throughout October, and right. it is it, it is in that rotation. It is a must watch every single year. Um, you know, just in preparation for Halloween, uh, you know, it's to be honest, we were just watching it a little bit ago. (laughs) Yeah. Um, because I've watched so good. Yeah. We have watched Hocus Pocus probably three times this month already. Oh yeah. I'm not surprised. (laughs) It's been on my TV. I would probably say at least more than a handful of times Uh, sitting down and watching it myself. I've only done about, well, one, like once and a half. Same here. I just like it being on. Yeah, yeah. You can't go wrong. Literally, you cannot go wrong with it. Yeah. And my kids just, I'll put it on and they just immediately like put down their Nintendo Switches and iPads and they just like camp out on the floor and they'll sit there for the entire thing. It's 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 a magical, still holds magical movie. Super well. I don't think it will ever not. Like, I mean, it's. One of it's one of the best. I mean, and it's very, and I like that's something I kept pointing out earlier as I was watching of how cheesy it is. Yeah, um, like uh, that's the charm. There's, of it, there's a line where oh man, it was I I kept repeating it earlier because it just kept making me laugh so hard. I don't know how many times I've seen this movie, but the fact that what is it? Uh, um, oh gosh, why can't I think of her name? The little sister. She's like. He likes your Yonkers or something like that, and like it just made me laugh so much. <laughs> yeah. And I, I know I'm I'm saying the wrong word, but I can't think specifically until I just double check it. Isn't um, it like bazoongas or some shit like that? Some like really silly nineties bazoongas reference. It's, it's like it's like Yonkers or something weird off the <laughs> wall. It's so weird, but it's hilarious. And just like huh, just the context, it just it makes me laugh super yeah. hard. Um, but yeah, that is my number two for sure. What about you? Yes. The movie is fantastic. 
My number two is another super old one. Rosemary's Baby. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. From 68. Yeah, I it's, have not seen that one in a very, very long time. Yeah, I rewatched it at the beginning of October, actually. And there are parts of it that don't... I'm not going to say it completely holds up. Right. It's This is a 60-year-old movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's hard. But the the through line of the movie is still scary as fuck. <laughs> like, okay. it's terrifying. It's... <gasps> Anyone who hasn't seen it, just go see it. Like, yeah, it's it's another it. classic though. Yes, it's, it's one of those. I mean, it is literally you you like that movie could never be redone, It'd never be redone properly at least. Yeah, um, and I kind of had to wedge it into the list because it is yeah. not technically a witch movie, right? Yeah. But the the antagonist in the story is, I mean. She's basically a witch. I mean, at this point, we're kind of riding riding a thin line, you know. And I sure. mean, you know, there's a lot of things that that could we could say aren't really technically a witch movie, but they kind of are. Yeah, you know. So I, I'll give it. I'll give it to you for sure. Excellent. Um, going back, my number one was Blair Witch Project. Okay, awesome. It, it was. It's, it, and again, it, I know we've already discussed it, but just such a fantastic movie. Um, and I think, honestly, out of any horror movie still to this day that I can watch on the regular, and it's another one I watch every single year. It's still in my rotation. Yeah. Um, and it's still scary. Like, it's it's scary because yes. it's such a mind fuck. Um, you know, it's not scary because you've got like an axe wielding murderer or something like crazy. It's scary because it's, it, it fucks with you. It fucks with you like crazy. And especially once you get to the ending of the movie, you know? And so, and it still, still holds up so well. Um, it also was way ahead of its time as far as like, dude, so much synchronicities. Yeah. No, they like, they mix in the, the idea of synchronicities, which was not really a thing that people were talking about in the nineties. Right. Yeah. Right. Like just all these like coincidence after coincidence that throughout the movie, you feel more and more like, Oh shit. Right. They are, like, this is a thing they're experiencing. They start to see piles of rocks and different things yep. like that, you know, in different areas they're going in circles, like, you know, yep. like different little things that do add up. And, but the if you don't really loses the map. Right. But if you don't pay attention <sighs> to these happening, these synchronicities, mm-hmm. And, and these are things that I, I, I notice constantly, like still I, I all the time, like, yeah. you know, and it's it's but it kind of going back and looking at it. Yeah. If you don't really pay attention as much or look at it that way, you it's very easy to dismiss or just just ignore or just kind yeah. of, you know, not even realize. Yep. Uh, but yeah, you were you were very right. I mean, it's it's yeah, very, very ahead of its time. And I, I think, again, still is such fantastic to this day still an all-time favorite i have like eternal reverence for any movie that scared the shit out of me when i was a kid and still scares the shit out of me now right exactly that's an accomplishment oh for sure all right number one let's hear it my number one is one we've also already talked about the craft okay that was your number one number one right yep i think that like because again, going back to my older brother and his friends, yeah, I think that like had a huge impact on them. My brother would have been 
a sophomore in high school when it came out. Okay. How could it not? Right? Yeah. Like, I mean, he was already into the, like, you know, every girl he brought home looked like Feruza Bulk from that movie. <laughs> so, like, yeah, he was right up their alley. Your That's, cousin included. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's fair. I mean, yeah. you know, like, and he was already in that kind of, like, that uh, that, that culture right you know yeah exactly yeah. so like yep. imagine being at that point and seeing the movie i think i would have had even like a greater appreciation for it than i do yeah and it's still it was, it's to in me, my top five for sure but it's gotta it's gotta be similar to like when you and i discovered slc punk <laughs> right exactly yeah right and like suddenly we're seeing like oh these are people who look like us <laughs> yeah these are people who do the stuff we do exactly like, have the same kind of thoughts and you know like yeah granted they're adults and i'm a teenager but still like i mean you know, they like, were sort of adults well I, <laughs> yeah I guess you're right. sort of <laughs> true yeah but yeah it's anyway, yeah, yeah it's the same concept for sure yeah so that's awesome the craft uh yeah the craft Definitely influenced my taste in women, for sure. And it made, I mean, it made me even more want to get into, like, you know the, the shop that they, they go to in the craft, the, like, store, the, the, like, little occult shop? Yeah. Where they go? I remember going to a little occult shop in Muncie with my brother and his friends. I was probably... I don't know, 13, and he was, they were 20, 19, 20. I remember going with them to, it was called Quarter Moon. Okay. And it was in downtown Muncie. Like, way, yeah, I was 13, so long time ago. Like, yeah. right around 2000. And it was almost identical to that little store in, in awesome. the craft. And it even had like the like back room with the beaded doorway mm -hmm. and stuff that I was always like, oh, what's back there? And like, I don't know. The craft was awesome. Yeah. It was. I remember yeah. going to a couple of those like little type of occulty shops and like very earthy shops. Maybe is a better yeah, word yeah. for them. Little hippie like, shops. I, I, I've, I bought a bunch of like books on Wicca at a lot of those shops. Yep. Um, you know, so and Bell books a and kid. Like, right, exactly. Arrow decks. And, it was it was very yeah. cool, and it was like almost like man, I feel right at home. You know, exactly. And yeah. So yeah, it's a super cool feeling. So I understand for sure. That's awesome. Yeah. I I would have put I would have put the craft higher on my list, but I had I had you know yeah, I yeah. had a couple ahead of it. Just I I think that like maybe more near and dear to me than yeah. But still, I I will never I will never not love that movie. It's still so good to this day. Have you seen the? I guess, but not necessarily a reimagining, almost a sequel ish that they've done. No, no, it's not terrible. It's really <laughs> not terrible. Uh, I okay. I went into it with the worst expectations, so I say it's not terrible because I was literally expecting it to be a dog shit show, like. Yeah. But it wasn't. It was surprisingly good, and it ties in to the original movie, too. So, okay. something pretty cool. I don't know. I'd say check it out. It's it's not horrible, for sure. I still, to this day, when when my wife does something annoying, I start saying, I bind you, Nancy. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's fair. <laughs> yeah. And her name is not Nancy. It right. bothers her a lot. That's awesome. <laughs> I like it. So, um, my, I had three honorable mentions that okay. I'm not going to talk about in All depth. Right. I just want to list them. Yeah. So yeah, let's one go for it. is the 1997 movie Eve's Bayou. And it's more about like a voodoo I've never seen priest. That yeah. Voodoo priestess. It has uh, Sam Jackson in it. Okay. Super good. And Hocus Pocus, of course, was on my honorable mention. I'm so surprised that's an that. honorable mention. Okay. Yeah. And all of the um, all of the witchy Studio Ghibli movies. Okay. So like Iki's Delivery Service. I, I love. Mm-hmm. And like even Howl's Moving Castle and Spirited Away, I I would I would put those on the like would, you yeah, know there is I'll, much with I'll give you that there is much there is much witch movies as Harry Potter. I mean Howl's right? Moving Castle is my absolute favorite that and My Neighbor right. Totoro, but you know I like I really honestly I have like a a special place for Kiki's Delivery Service. Oh, it's fantastic! I agree. It's like it's that's like a more slice of life the witchier one out of out of all of them. I would say. Yeah, yeah for sure. I mean, the main um, character is literally a witch. Exactly. So, but, but I love like the slice of life anime. I know oh, yeah. that it's like it's polarizing. Some people hate it and some people love it. But I love it, and that movie is that. To nobody a can hate any Ghibli movies at all. Yeah, like, nobody. Yeah. You cannot right. say you hate any of those because they're all fucking fantastic. Even like Ponyo and Arietti and shit like that. Now, like you sure. know, like I mean, those are all modern, but like there, yeah. there's no way. They're all fantastic. They've all been done extremely well. Attention to detail. Oh, yes. Yeah. No. My, now we're going to get my, into our, anime, so let's our, not do yeah. that. <laughs> our lovely friend Mark Steele actually introduced me to those. Really? And, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Cool. That's. Anyway, yeah. That's it. We can't talk anime. Nope. Nope. I will. I will but, end up getting on another tangent <laughs> now. I wanted to at least mention Kiki's Delivery Service, though, because yeah. that's. That's a really, Fantastic. really good witch movie. I agree. Yep. And that concludes episode 17, The Curse of Julia Brown. Thank you, thank you, thank you. From the bottom of our weird, possibly alien, maybe ghostly, probably cryptid hearts for listening. We absolutely love having the chance to discuss all these wild creatures and events every week. And it's your continued attention that allows us to carry on. We want to get to know each and every one of you, so please come and check us out on all the socials. At campfire.tales.podcast on Instagram and Facebook, at campfire.totsau on Twitter, and you can also visit our website at campfirepodcastnetwork.com. If you love the show, please rate and review it. It's what truly helps us continue bringing your weekly dose of the strange and unsettling. And a special thanks to Greg Martin at Reverent Music on Instagram for his contributions to the beautiful music that you hear every week under the debrief. You can find more of his tunes at ReverbNation.com slash Reverent. It's fantastic, fantastic stuff. Go give that a listen. And that's it. Until next time. I'm Ryan. I'm Jordan. And remember, campers. Stay weird. And and trust trust in the unknown. unknown.